This is Civilly Speaking, brought to you by the Ohio Association for Justice. Hello, and welcome to Civilly Speaking, OAJ's monthly podcast on practical and timely legal issues. I'm your host, Sean Harris. Our guest today is OAJ past president, Bob DeRose with the firm of Barkin Meislish in Columbus. Bob, good morning to you. Good morning, Sean. How are you? I'm hanging in there. Our topic today is wage and hour cases. And that's a term that's, you know, thrown around. But when we're talking about a wage and hour case, what does that even mean? Well, wage and hour case, it encompasses all the aspects of how an employee is paid, from not being paid overtime, meaning that once an employee who's non-exempt works 40 hours, that next hour they're to be paid a premium for every hour thereafter, to minimum wage payments. There's a certain minimum amount of payment that each employee is entitled to receive for every hour worked. Those are more of your common notions that most people know about, but it also could be issues where not being paid the regular rate, not being paid for all the hours they work. Working off the clock is a term that we that we use. There's issues on not in, including bonuses or including all the wages that somebody's entitled to. So it's it's on one hand a very simplistic area of the law, on another hand it's very nuanced in that there are many, many pitfalls that employers sometimes unwittingly and unfortunately in very calculated ways fall into. As I'm hearing you describe the various situations where this comes up, I'm wondering whether there are considerations as far as size of employer. Does this apply across the board or is there I mean, larger employers have different rules versus smaller employers? Yes. So this all started, the wage and hour concept started in the 30s. The, the Fair Labor Standards Act is the federal legislation that gave us the, the, the rules by which employers have to pay their employees. The federal statute covers all employees that work for employers that make more than $500,000, not just in earnings, but have $500,000 in goods and services, meaning that their business can be valued at $500,000 or more, and do work in interstate commerce. But sometimes you'll have a small employer that doesn't meet that threshold, but an individual employee does something in interstate commerce. Think of the mom and pop pizza shop. It might not be valued at $500,000, but they take credit cards, payments over the, over the phone. They use a website in which to get their business. When Congress wrote this in the 30s, they were trying to bring people out of the depression. The whole idea was is that instead of having one employee work 16 hours, they would somewhat penalize the employer for an 80-hour week for an employee by making them play time and a half for every hour after 40, the idea being that we'll hire another employee instead. It was really a job creation bill, but it has been expanded 
many times falls to to expend a lot more protections to the employees in the workplace. So the idea was to capture as many employees as possible. So there's what they have called the enterprise coverage, which is the, the employer itself does enough to trigger it. Or a small employer has an employee in interstate commerce so that individual coverage they can get it. There is a very few employees that aren't covered by the Fair Labor Standards Act. It sounds like uh, whether it, you said enterprise or individual, there's mm -hmm. a way to, to get them all. Right. Now, there are states that have... There are 22 states in the United States that have state wage and hour laws that do more than the federal statute. The federal statute is the least you can do for your employees. 22 states, including Ohio, have their own wage and hour statute that do more. How does, generally, how does Ohio's wage and hour statute compare? It compares on the overtime side, they incorporated the Fair Labor Standards Act and you get essentially the same protections as the federal government. However, on the minimum wage side, if you are found to have been in violation uh, as an employer of the minimum wage under the Fair Labor Standards Act, you owe your employee their, what they uh, were due, you owe them their, that damage. And the judge has a discretion to give liquidated damages up to one extra dollar. So you can get, you, your, your, your exposure, potentially as an employer, is if you owed your employee a dollar, you have to pay that back. Plus the judge can issue a liquidated damages up to another dollar. And the statute of limitations under the federal statute is only two years unless you can prove willfulness. Then it goes to three. In Ohio, under the minimum wage, once you show a minimum wage violation, it's automatically treble damages, and it's automatically three years. You don't have to do anything other than show the violation. So for Ohio protections with respect to the minimum wage, we're probably one of the best states for minimum wage, mm -hmm. and we're even on the, on the overtime. That's uh, refreshingly surprising to hear that Ohio is actually statutorily somewhat progressive. The, the Ohio legislature giveth and they taketh away because they, uh, they took away the right to do it as, in Ohio on a minimum wage as a Rule 23 class. And they follow, that follows the federal opt-in process as opposed to opt-out. So, you know, but it's still a good statute. I, I, it's powerful and it does really good things, but you know, we'll take it. We'll take it now. And, and forgive me, maybe I call me naive, but the idea that an employer would not pay an employee minimum wage seems unfathomable to me, right? I mean, it seems like that's something that even non-lawyers understand. That's the law. You do it. You're telling me employers get around the minimum wage. So the minimum wage violations are generally a little more insidious than just somebody coming into my office and being paid with a paycheck that blatantly says it's less than the hourly rate. Generally what you find is an employer tells an employee that we're going to pay you a salary or I, I have the right, the employer saying to the employee, I have the right to pay you a salary. And then they work them 60, 70 hours a week. And then when they come to our office and we and we proved that they weren't entitled to exempt these employees, then we find out when you do the math and when you take the 70 hours they worked into the amount of money they made, that's 
the typical way we find the minimum wage. And then also off the clock. A lot of employers have employees doing a significant amount of work before they start work, during their lunch, unpaid lunch breaks, and then after work. And if somebody's working a minimum wage job, every hour that they work beyond the, the 40 that they're paid for automatically triggers it into minimum wage. And so a lot of times you have to do the math, which I thought in college I would get away with by going to law school, but there's a lot of math involved. Now, you've mentioned a, a, a couple terms that I want to circle back to, that being exempt versus not exempt. Tell us about that. So the best way, as I explain it to my clients and to anybody else, is that the Fair Labor Standards Act applies to everyone. Every employee, including you, Sean, is entitled to minimum wage and time and a half if they work over 40. i got to tell my partner that. But unfortunately for you... You are, that's the premise you start with. Everybody's entitled to it. The employer, as an affirmative defense, can come in and say, no, Sean Harris is exempted from the FLSA because he's either an executive exemption, those are your managers, administrative exemption. You would be a learned professional, and I hope a highly uh, compensated individual by which your employer would allow you to, uh, to, to not pay you time and a half. But that's one of the things that I, I have to educate even some defense counsel and employers that every employee is entitled to time and a half and minimum wage unless the employer can show they are exempted. And there's a list of exemptions. And maybe a little bit later in here, I want to talk to you about how that's changed there's a pretty significant change coming with that. Thanks for listening to part one of our interview with Bob DeRose. Stay tuned for part two, where we'll discuss the update and changes in the law on wage and hour cases. Mm -hmm.